Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 149. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday. And Dave Bryan is back, fresh off his vacation. And I can only assume he was at the Kenny Pickett wedding somewhere tucked in there. And uh, so how was the Kenny Pickett wedding, Dave? Uh, yeah, my invitation must have got lost in the mail uh, uh, there. Boy, uh uh, sounds like I'm, uh, and it's too bad. Cause I, I, it sounds like that was quite a shindig there that they had. Can you imagine trying to cut down the, uh, invitation list? I, Kenny talked about that. I think at one point, one of these interviews recently about how they were trying to keep the, the guest list down and all like that. And, uh, I wonder how many feelings were hurt <laughs> <laughs> by people, uh, uh, not getting invited, but, uh, man, it looked like that was, uh, quite a spread, uh, that they had there, right? Yeah, I, I like went. A- I, 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 I took. I, I took the uh, slight uh, in 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 stride, though. I, 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 we loaded up the car and went to Utah. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, yeah, glad you had a good time though on your vacation. Yeah, the Kenny Pickett wedding on Saturday. I wonder if they had the cookie table. I know that's a, a PA thing. I don't know if it got over there in New Jersey. So uh, that's a big burning question I have. Kenny Pickett, even though it was a Jersey wedding, is a Jersey boy needed to have that Pittsburgh cookie table. Yeah, I thought I saw something of that somewhere. Wasn't it uh, someone from from one of the news stations? I think uh, uh, had video of that. Uh, was it uh, who was it? Emily? Uh, I don't know. I did I, not it, see. It, send it, it to me though. Yeah, I'll have to send you. Uh, I forget who had it on Twitter, but I, I thought I was, I didn't even know what it was. Uh, but now that you said that, it looked like there was cookies everywhere. So maybe that was uh, uh, related to the picket uh, wedding. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So that that was my my burning outstanding question from the weekend. But uh, yeah, Dave, the new cycle. Yeah, there's been some stuff going on here in the time that you had uh, been away. Josh and I kind of recapped the initial reports of the, the signings and roster moves that Pittsburgh made, releasing wide receiver Anthony Miller, bringing in two players and linebacker Nick Kwiatkowski and long snapper Rex Sunohara. But you and I have not talked about it yet, so we can kind of work backwards and then get to more current day news uh starting with those those roster moves that pittsburgh made about a week ago yeah first and foremost thanks to josh carney for sitting in uh and unfortunately you know you had to discuss i think the passing of clark hagan's too didn't you that that mm-hmm. uh, that came out of uh, out of the blue and I, I i obviously noticed that while i was on the trip and and all but uh uh certainly sad news there boy so young too you know uh uh, still, what was he? 40, what 46, was he? 46. Wow. That's young. Uh, so an, an unfortunate, uh, news there for sure. Uh, as far as the transactions went, uh, I, I found it a little bit surprising that Anthony Miller was, was let go this time of the off season here. Uh, but, uh, within that, uh, I think overall it, it was Anthony Miller, was a guy that was probably up against it as far as chances of, 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 of making a roster. It wasn't unthinkable to, to, you know, for, for things to maybe roll his way 
uh, throughout the summer, but I mean, he is up in age, you know, and he, he, uh, uh, obviously, you know, was, was on the practice squad last year and there just hasn't seemed to be a lot of, uh, roster or, you know, the in other words, a lot of interest in him potentially making a roster really across the NFL last, what, uh, season and a half or so. Who was he with last? Was it Houston that he yeah, actually... He- it was Actually, Chicago, Houston, and then Pittsburgh. Yeah, so uh, a little bit of a uh, shock there to see him out the door this early in the offseason here, but also on, on you know, uh, attached to that, you know, it's not like it's the end of the world type, you know, situation and, and a huge loss overall. Uh, it just it didn't work out for him, and those kind of things happen uh, this time of the offseason here. And, you know, obviously they had brought in uh, uh, Kwiatkowski, uh, prior to uh, OT or qu- prior to mandatory minicamp ending. And uh, uh, same with uh, uh, Rex, the long snapper as well, too. We were kind of wondering, man, they're bringing in a bunch of these long snappers. Are they ever going to to sign one there? And, you know, we had talked a little bit about this team maybe having interest in a, in a more, you know, experienced inside linebackers. So, uh you know, they obviously went that route. Uh, Kwiatkowski is kind of that guy that, you know, at, at his age and, and his playing experience, he still probably has a little bit of special teams juice left in the tank there. So there's that added aspect there. Uh, obviously, probably not a guy going to compete for, you know, a starting job, but could potentially be a guy that sees the field in in some certain situations should he ultimately uh, make the roster. And as far as the long snapper goes, you know, I I think you could very well see an open competition when it comes to that, uh, uh, that position on the, you know, uh, through the off season summer roster there. Yeah. I think that's the theme, especially well, of both signings, but I think even the Suna horror one, that's the point of my terrible take today is just bringing in competition everywhere. So if you're not a cemented starter, you have somebody that's really pushing you and adding depth, adding competition. You're seeing it at both inside linebacker and now long snapper for the summer is just good. Good for the team. You want to have some difficult decisions to make on cut down. You want to protect yourself against injury and just the unknown of, of somebody not working out somewhere. So um, yeah, to get even a guy like Sunahara in, that's not going to be a headline type move, but I think it's still an important one that kind of gets to the core of what Omar Khan is trying to do. You know, I understand the need for the inside linebacker depth and, and I can appreciate that. I just, you know, I'm higher on Mark Robinson than probably a lot of people are, maybe even more than the team is right now. And just want to make sure he gets an opportunity to play and get reps and make mistakes and get better. With this signing, it feels like the uh, the chances for him to play and get some more of those reps are going to decrease this summer, which is a bit disappointing. But I understand their point of getting a guy with a lot of experience and you know generally a well rounded skill set and someone who can certainly play on special teams. Those are all positive things for the Steelers. Yeah, and and, and you know one other kind of underlying, I guess, takeaway maybe from the Anthony Miller uh, release is the fact that at least how I'm viewing it is, is that they're real comfortable with the overall health health now of the wide receiver depth chart. You know, there was mm-hmm. you know, kind of some questions, obviously, about, you know, Calvin Austin and him returning back from the foot injury from last year. And uh, uh, Allen Robinson, obviously, coming off of a, a, a foot 
you know, injury last year and, and how he was expected to maybe kind of be a little bit, you know, slowed uh, throughout the summer here. Uh, and, you know, you obviously have a few other younger, uh, more experienced uh, wide receivers on the roster there. But I, I think kind of one of the underlying, you know, not sexy take takeaways from this is the fact that uh, it, 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 I, I think you could kind of speculate that they're happy with, with the overall shape of that depth chart and, and specifically the health of a couple of guys on that wide receiver depth chart. Sure. When you trade for Allen Robinson, when you get Calvin Austin back and he looks good and healthy, when you assign Hakeem Butler, all those things occurring after you had to resign Anthony Miller pretty early in the off season. So made him expendable. We'll give him a chance to catch on somewhere else, maybe before training camp. I just really didn't see the path for him to to make the Steelers 53 without several injuries, and he's had injuries himself. Missed last year with a shoulder injury. I think he was nicked up for a time during OTAs, and so, you know, he just, he's been in Pittsburgh for a while, done really nothing to contribute. Again, health, one part of that, and so it was probably fair to to move on. Yeah, I guess at this point now, uh, and, and obviously you have the roster back at, what, 90 active and then one on, on IR and Rennell Wren, and it's something we usually talk about uh, around this time uh, of the offseason as well. You know, how much more churning of the nine, hopefully not much overall, because I just started my 90 and third, third, <laughs> 30 series. And I think the last couple of times I've done that, it's ended up being like 92 and 30 or something like that. But uh, I guess the biggest thing at this point is how much, how much more churning of the 90 man roster will take place between now and the start of training camp, which by the way, I think is what exactly a month away now. Right. Uh, Correct. uh, you know, as of today and, you know, we have written and, and, and talked over, you know, over the, over the years about how, you know, players that were not on the active roster come the time that mandatory mini camp ends, uh, actually, making or being on the week one 53 man roster, you know, come that time. And we've seen that, you know, more than a couple of times over the years, whether it be, you know, free agent signing after mandatory mini camp ends or a trade uh, last, you know, uh, a cut, you know, post cut down that final week kind of uh, trade type situation. So I think that's, I, you know, I, I firmly believe in history tells us that that, will will potentially be you know the same situation this year now technically i guess you could uh qualify guys like uh rex uh, sunahara and 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 kwiatowski in that uh conversation right because neither one of those guys were technically on the team during the mandatory minicamp right so right. Uh, th- those were two additions after the fact but i think even moving kind of past those additions there you know, I, 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 th- I think there's still a, 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 a good possibility that someone that's not currently under contract with the team right now, one or two players even might end up being part of the 53 man roster come, come week one. Sure. Given Omar Khan's willingness to add to this roster through every Avenue and change this roster pretty aggressively, I would say the bottom half of the roster is substantially different than where it was one year ago, um, even probably more so than it typically is from any, you know, year to year, you know, Kevin Colbert 
year to year uh, kind of situation. So uh, I would not be surprised based off of waiver wires, trades, you know, injuries, evaluations that will occur, you know, this late August where they're going to be active and, and add somebody. You think about, uh, you know, Zach Banner, who was a mid training camp ad years ago. He made the team. Ray Ray McLeod was somebody that got signed in the what early middle of August and it makes the team. So you've seen those stories before and it could happen again. It could be a trade. There's a lot of examples of that waiver claims, you know, all those guys get cut at once this year on that final cut down date. So that'll be a very busy active day for Pittsburgh and the rest of the NFL. And the, the day or two that follows is going to see increased movement of those waiver claims. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, hopefully there won't be any injuries between now and the start of training camp. <laughs> if they are, they're probably workout. They'd have to be workout related, you know. Yeah, or uh, Mika Fitzpatrick falling off his bike. On oh, vacation. yeah. Let's not forget that. Yeah, yeah for for, uh, for sure. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the biggest question that you have at this this point of the offseason now is really how much how much churn will happen on the 90 man between now and the time. Uh, that this team reports to to actual training camp. Yeah, I mean that's you know it it could happen, but I I'd like to think this roster is pretty much set. I don't know what else there really is left at. Maybe somebody comes available. Maybe they reach a deal with with somebody, but I generally think it's going to be set. And then you get in the camp, you have your injuries, your evaluations, and then things obviously will start start to pick up from there. Dave, one thing that happened Steelers news wise that occurred after Josh and I spoke on the last episode of the podcast was the Steelers on Friday signing two of their three outstanding rookies to uh, the rookie contracts. That is second round pick Keanu Benton, 49th overall and first round pick Broderick Jones. And so the only rookie left to sign is Joey Porter Jr. Uh, both on the, uh, well, I should say on the Benton deal, you know, people are labeling labeling it as a historic contract. I guess technically that's true. You had just outlined it well, so it did not come as any sort of surprise or shock to me that Benton got a sliver of guaranteed money in that third year, which had never happened before for the 49th overall pick. So it is a unprecedented contract, but I think the headlines you read about that are not nearly as impressive as the actual detail of what that means. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we we should toot our own horn here, right? Because uh, you know, it's kind of played out with these with these uh, f- uh, final three uh, draft picks, kind kind of the way we thought it might, and 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 related to the holdups of why those guys took so long uh, to sign uh, the Benton thing. Uh, as I laid out in the post before I left for vacation was uh, more than likely tied to that draft slot to where he was, you know, they continually try to push that, uh, move that line in the sand as far as uh, third year guaranteed money uh, uh, around that level there uh, to, to, to have some small percentage of it. And the line did get moved a little bit there. Uh, He is the first uh, player at 49th overall, correct? Uh, To Mm -hmm. have uh, any percentage of the third year, uh, uh, money guaranteed. It's, it's not a lot, but, uh, it is some, and that ended up being the hold up there. And I, and, you know, I, I would have to imagine that, you know, the main sticking point, like I pointed out when it came to Broderick Jones, obviously that it's, 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 it's a fully guaranteed, uh, four year deal, but it was probably related to signing bonus, uh, uh, payout, you know, structure time frame, and all. So the fact that, uh, uh, they got both those guys done 
uh, over the course of this last week. I, I, I don't, I don't take as a huge, huge, uh, shock because of kind of the parameters that were laid out there. And now we're down to just Joey Porter jr. And we kind of predicted that he, 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 he could end up being the last draft pick, uh, that the Steelers signed this year. And I, all that's going to be related to how much of that fourth year money, right. Or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, uh, or how much of that third year money, uh, and, and how much maybe that will creep in to potentially even, you know, some of the fourth year money there. So it'll be interesting to watch that play out. I, uh, we could be waiting a little bit longer on him, you know, uh, especially where he was picked, you know, 32nd, uh, overall. And obviously I don't think he's going to get, uh, all four years fully guaranteed, but I think there's a good chance that, uh, because I, I think the way this has transpired, it's gone up like 5% each guy uh, 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 when it comes to that guaranteed money there. But he's going to probably push a little bit harder uh, than than the 5% uh, uh, step up there, uh, the way things have gone so far this offseason. And with Will Levis being the guy drafted right after, he, had, he didn't sign, right? I, I think he's still unsigned, right? To my knowledge, he has not right. signed his contract. So... And as I wrote the other day or before I left to go out of town was the fact that I wouldn't be shocked if those two wind up being the last two uh, guys to sign at, at, you know, at at this point here. So uh, I do think that obviously the Porter deal will get done before this team reports to training camp. I just, I have a, I have a bit of a feeling that we could be waiting, you know, another week or two, maybe. Yeah, and we had talked about this where we thought Benton and Jones would get done before Porter, and Porter would be the last Steeler to to sign his deal, and that seemed you know, that is going to be the case. Obviously, with Benton, for those wondering, it was uh, reportedly eight percent of that third year is fully guaranteed. That comes out to about one hundred and thirteen thousand dollars. So it's not a. Some people said it was a fully guaranteed third year. It is not. It is a sliver. It's eight percent. That is just a natural increase of agents each year. These guys kind of are able to push or move the goalposts a little bit. And that's what happened here with Benton. So it is a first for 49th overall pick, but it's not anything that was unexpected or frankly, all that, you know, shocking. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I spent more time on kind of studying that this offseason and now uh, having a better grasp of it uh, overall, it should be able to you know, play more into the kind of the predictive of when these guys will sign, uh, you know, moving forward into next year's draft and all, especially if, 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 if the Steelers wind up having a pick around that, you know, 50, the 52nd overall, we'll obviously see how the rest of this draft class uh, plays out because I think there's still uh, a, a good handful of players on both sides of Kiana Benton uh, who have not signed yet. But uh, I would I would imagine now what um, would Benton be in right in the middle of that group that you're going to start seeing a lot of these signings come across uh, the waiver wire now. Sure, that makes sense there. So give us just kind of a brief salary cap update. I know you had that post go up yesterday on the site uh, as the signings are, are official. So kind of give us uh, I know that was already accounted into your past projections, but with the, the signings and all the movement. Give me an update date, please. Yeah. And look, you know, there was never really a question of what, you know, within a few pennies of what these, what these cap charges were going to be on guys like uh, Benton and, and, and Broderick Jones and all like that. Uh, it was just a matter of when can I move them from the unsigned uh, portion to the signed 
uh, uh, category there. But uh, now you're looking at a team that that still, you know, obviously still has Joey Porter uh, left unsigned at this this point. Uh, if you want to look at it in 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 a real time aspect and within that going ahead and accounting for the manager. And, you know, one thing that I'm kind of confused about that, that I need to get with Joe Corey with uh, is why uh, the NFLPA has, has yet to implement the, uh, the placeholder charge. Maybe they have, it just hasn't been reflected on, you know, that, that one uh, NFLPA sheet, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's updated daily. But if you want to look at it uh, with, in real time now these 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 two uh, additional draft picks have been signed if you want to look at it as as this uh workout uh bonus placeholder charge being uh uh in effect uh this team is 12. Point, a little over 12.8 million dollars uh under the cap uh now the offset of Joey Porter you can go ahead and factor in as being an additional little more than $800,000 displacement charge there. So if you really want to take a more realistic look at it, this team's right around $12 million under the cap at this point. Uh, As I always try to point out in these posts of mine, there's always these forthcoming kind of allotments or chart, not necessarily charges, but, uh, uh, you know, adjustments that you have to account for with the end of the rule of 51 with the 52nd and 53 53rd player being added. You're going to have to obviously have to afford uh, a, a full practice squad. You know, how, how many players are going to be on IR come week one that you have to account for. I mean, you've already got one, you know, and Rennell Wren, that looks like that's going to carry over in, 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 in week one. And then once again, the biggest, pushback that I get, you know, throughout the off season is, man, Dave, why do you have this team having $9 million in, you know, essentially free salary cap space at the start of the season. But the, you know, that's just been, uh, the, the path this team has taken the last couple of seasons here. So, uh, and then, you know, moving forward, if, if you look at technically what you would call projected effective usable salary cap space, as of today, based on estimates of what this team still has as projected future salary cap sp- expenses, they would technically be nearly $5.5 million over the cap. Now, that's that's not a hard, fast number because those charges haven't hit. But if you're projecting out ahead, that's where I have them at, at a projected $5.5 million, nearly $5.5 million over now. There's a whole that there's the whole TJ Watt conversation of a mm-hmm. of a restructure. I mean, there's tr- a little more than twelve point six million dollars that can be freed up that way. Will they have to do the full restructure? We'll see. And then other things that could impact this thing moving forward is how many of these players currently in in the rule of fifty one won't be there come week one, you know, and, and potentially replaced by cheaper guys. I mean, you could have a conversation about Montrevious Adams, Kevin Dodson, Gunnar Olszewski, uh, Miles Killebrew. I mean, all of those are notable examples of guys that are, that are scheduled to count more, you know, than, than let's say, you know, $2 million or so that might not be on this 53 man roster and even potentially replaced by 
guys making less than a million dollars, that would save you some cap space that way. And then additionally, something we're obviously watching uh, uh, between now and the start of the regular season is an, an, an Alex Highsmith contract extension. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, my, my view on that hasn't changed all off season. I think you could potentially be looking at his cap number increasing around roughly $3.5 million than what it is right now. And obviously you'd have to make room or be able to afford that $3.5 million increase, uh, top to bottom, you know, I provide these updates whenever, you know, things like this happen, but it hasn't changed my right. outlook or the scope of this thing throughout the process. It, this seems to be very much on course from boy, when, when was it that I, you know, that, that you were away and I did that, you know, podcast dedicated to it. I think if people listen back to that, this has pretty much still been on course to kind of the way I predicted this would uh, play out with the salary cap situation dating back at, you know, that far. So obviously the things that, 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 that will impact this thing, Greatly moving forward is, you know, TJ Watts restructure. Will that need to be a full restructure? Will it be a partial restructure? How much will, you know, assuming that they, they get a deal done with Alex Highsmith, how much will his uh, cap charge in 2023 increase? And really kind of the other un- unknowns there is what kind of IR situation will this team face come week one? And what kind of shuffle in the current rule of 51? with guys like Adams and Dotson and Olszewski and Miles Killebrew will happen. That'll free up a little salary cap space that way. Yeah. All good information there. Again, as you said, the numbers, the calculations have really remained the same for the last couple of months, but good to update and refresh and just hammer home those points because, you know, I, I know you like to educate people on the cap and really explain things. I think people learn a lot from those articles and really gain a, a greater understanding of where Pittsburgh is at. So it's always good to to write those every, I don't know, once a month or so to kind of check in on the Steelers financials. Yeah. And look, you know, I, I think my main takeaway, uh, you know, looking at all the projected numbers and obviously factoring in maybe, you know, a, a watt full, full restructure and, and, and a high Smith uh, uh, extension. There, there might be as much as around another $3 million that this team could play with. You know, uh, mm-hmm. to go to go out and add another player or two uh, moving forward between now uh, and the actual start of the season here, because once again, you know, what's going to happen with some of those guys like Adams and Dotson and Gunner and Kilbrew, you know, the odds of all all those guys not not being here come week one are, are, are probably against that overall, but it, I mean, it's still not unthinkable. Uh, over, yeah. overall either to have some sort of shuffling that'll that'll free up you know anywhere from i don't know a million and a half to you know four million dollars let's say so uh this team still is not strapped overall when it comes to being being able to add a modest piece or two you know between now and 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 and, and the start of week one yeah, you never know what what will change. There will be some changes, and so we'll be uh be watching for it. Uh, Dave, uh, one thing that happened over the weekend—I wouldn't even call it Steelers news—but uh, George Kittle was on the Pardon My Take podcast, and 
I think the quotes being taken a little out of context. I think for the article that we wrote, we tried to capture more of the essence of what George Kittle said. But, you know, looking, he's looking forward to the challenge of blocking TJ Watt week one. Kittle says he prides himself on being the best blocking tight end, best pass protecting tight end. He probably is right up there. And especially given the 49ers shaky right tackle situation, losing Mike McGlinchey to Denver this offseason, um, I, I not not that Kittle's, Kittle's going to block Watt one v one a lot or at all, but that that's going to be I think one of those hidden matchups to watch in that opener. So uh, Kittle very much looking to test his abilities against TJ Watt. I think this is just George Kittle being George Kittle, and things probably not rolling out of his mouth, uh, kind of exactly the way they 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 were in his head at the time uh, during that interview. There, uh, obviously a high a very confident. Of, uh, and at this point now, a very accomplished player uh, uh, at, at, at this point in his career. Uh, I think he just wanted to drill home the fact that he, he views himself as a very good uh, blocking tight end, which which he is. Uh, uh, you know, when, when he attached names in there like Cam, Cam Jordan and, and, and TJ Watt, that's when it became more of a story, right? Uh, uh, overall there. I just view this as George Kittle being a very confident guy in his blocking ability. Hey, I'm all for him, him not being able to go out on, on, on a majority of his rights in that week one game, uh, you know, against the Steelers this year, uh, you know, having to kid, I I'd much rather the Steelers have to contend with a, uh, 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 attached George Kittle and blocking situations more so than I would have to worry about him in, you know, as a pass option in the offense there. Uh, but realistically, how many times is he likely going to have to, you know, there'll be some chipping involved and, sure. and, and, you know, and, and stuff like that, as there is, you know, with, 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 with any NFL offensive game plan, especially when you're playing a team you know, like the Steelers or, or any team with uh, a nice set of accomplished pass rushers uh, would, would be there. But uh, I just view this more of, of, of Kittle saying, Hey, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a really good accomplished blocker at this point in my career. And I look forward to testing that against the likes of, let's say a guy like TJ Watt come time. Exactly. It wasn't like he was directly challenging or saying, I'm going to shut down TJ Watt as some headlines are trying to run with. As you said, he kind of talked about he was just kind of thinking about good pass rushers. He said Cam Jordan. He said TJ Watt just trying to talk about some really, you know, guys that get paid to rush the quarterback. That's all that was. And of course, you know, he's going to see TJ Watt in week one. So I think PFF had Kittle down for 45 pass blocking snaps last year. Did not grade out well, but I don't know how much stock to really put in that. Obviously, Guy's a capable blocker, but yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of chips though, because to my knowledge, and I've not done a deep dive into the 49ers roster yet, and who knows what could change from, you know, here until September 10th, uh, they got Colton McKibbitz as their starting right tackle, who has five career starts, West Virginia kid, um, fifth, former fifth round pick a couple of years ago. So uh, that's a big downgrade from McGlinchey, who's been a really quality tackle for them. And so if they don't address that in terms of bringing somebody else in, I think we're going to talk a lot about, you know, how the 49ers try to take away TJ Watt or try to slow him down. And those 1v1 rushes between Watt and McKivitz come week one. 
And, and on the flip side of this, if I'm TJ White, I'm I'm uh, I'm making a meme out of that, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm hanging it in my locker. Not that <laughs> TJ White needs any more uh, affirmations or confirmation or or, or motivation, uh, if you will. I sort of sound like Don King there. Um, uh, motiv- motivation, uh, affirmations, confirmations. Uh, <laughs> the Raptor, you were you were on that Raptor yeah, this past week, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, look, I mean that. And I think you framed it well. I mean, this is something the closer that we get to that week one game, it will be interesting to see what, because, you know, TJ Watt just came off that interview with Ben Roethlisberger talking about how he loves that side that he's on and why he loves the side that he's on. And that predominantly obviously means once again, we should look forward to, to uh, TJ Watt uh, going up against uh, primarily right tackles uh, in the NFL in 2023. And it will be interesting to see how the right side of that line uh, of the 49ers shakes out the rest of this summer here and going into week one, that could be one of the key matchups that we're talking about. Uh, boy, what are the 49ers, you know, uh, how does this thing set up for, for, for TJ Watt, uh, in this game and what will the 49ers need to do offensively with maybe a guy like George Kittle or with a, a running back, uh, in, in Christian McCaffrey to have to kind of consistently make sure they get an extra body or extra help uh, for that right tackle in those situations there because TJ's TJ White and you know I, I my takeaway from what what Kittle was saying was look there are some game wreckers in the NFL you know that 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 go up against tackles with TJ Watt being one of those guys and I look forward to kind of testing uh uh my skill set you know sp- specifically blocking when it when it comes to that Absolutely. That that's the point that he made. And really there's there's not anything else to that. And uh by the way, speaking of Kittle and to kind of bring that into Pittsburgh, he just finished up the week at Tight End University where Pat Fryermuth was at. I did not see much of Fryermuth there. I don't know if he was maybe not working that much because he's got whatever injury he's dealing with right now, potentially a foot issue. Uh, but I know Frymuth was at Tight End U alongside Kittle. Those two are apparently pretty good friends off the field. So that's just one minor note on what Pat Frymuth is doing. Yeah, and obviously you hope uh Fryermuth is is raring and ready to go, you know, come obviously start a training camp and beyond. By the way, just going back to to Kenny Pickett, you got to you talk about dedication and work ethic. What 2 days before his wedding, he's throwing routes to Allen Robinson. I mean, you just love that kind of stuff. And not that that guarantees he's going to be any type of amazing second-year player, you know, we'll see what happens, but the work ethic has never been in question with Kenny Pickett. You appreciate Allen Robinson taking the time to, to run routes with the guy. But yeah, two days before your wedding, you're, you're throwing on the field. That's uh, that's that's really dedication. Yeah, and I bet his uh, now wife probably had, uh, are you sure you, baby, you can't break away to help? Uh, baby, I got, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I'm the leader of this offense. I got to work with these guys. You know, that, <laughs> that, that that's a nice out to have there. But look, th- this uh, goes back to, you know, the day, you know, Kenny Pickett was drafted, right? We talked about how uh, the mature aspect of him and and on through his rookie season, how this thing didn't seem to be too big for him. Uh, fast forward uh, 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 into you know post last season and you know getting the guys together down in Florida and and really taking command of this thing. And uh, I, I think, and we've stated this several times as well too. Uh, the, the the main takeaway about this how this 2023 uh, Steelers team is shaping up at this point, man, you don't see, 
Uh, and it's not like there's been a lot of drama with this team the last couple of years, you know, anyway, but uh, it really seems to be if, you know, zero to very minimal uh, worries about camaraderie or leadership or, or direction and not, you know, and, and really on both sides of the football. I mean, you got, got guys like Patrick Peterson now uh, in, 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 in the room on defense, uh, uh, a couple of the other guys they've added on defense, free agents, are your more veteran uh, team orientated guys, Allen Robinson, uh, boy, what kind of uh, underlying aspect once we get into the season, will his addition be uh, to that room? Because even going back a couple of years ago, I mean, you had, you know, and and no disrespect to Juju, but, you know, he was still a younger wide receiver and leader of that room and not really having all that many years underneath his belt as well, too. And not to take anything away from Deontay Johnson, but that's not kind of what he is, right? Uh, uh, being that, or at least not yet, that that more uh, veteran leadership presence in in that room, and we all, all know the whole Chase Claypool thing. It 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 it, it has kind of seemed like the last couple of seasons that that room overall has needed mm-hmm. that that ten year guy like Allen Allen Robinson. So uh, I think that played in greatly into the decision for this team to trade for him as well. You know, obviously you need a, a, a guy that can play in a slot, a guy that can be uh, versatile, but the leadership aspect of what Allen Robinson, I think brings to this team. I don't think that we're going to be able to fully maybe, or hopefully appreciate more until we get into week three, week four of the season along those lines. It's probably because this is still a young room overall. No, it's a great point by you, Dave, and well said. And I know we had talked about throughout the offseason hoping to find that veteran type of you know receiver, especially somebody that, that could work in the slot and give you snaps there. And it was hard to find who that guy would be because the free agent market was pretty poor and obviously drafting's not solving the veteran problem. So that's I think you're absolutely right. I think that was a huge component of why they went out and, and traded for Robinson, kind of that surprising out of nowhere type of move to you know, for obviously the on-field impact of beating zone coverage and kind of being that slot possession receiver like Juju was the final two years of his career, something Chase Claypool was not, something this team certainly lacked last year um, with Gunnar Wolszewski, Steven Sims. So um, there's certainly on-field reasons to to acquire him, but they wanted that presence in that room. And I think it'll be impossible to quantify, but you're right. I think it'll pay off in big ways. It's one of those things too, when, when uh, you know, it was nearly impossible to predict a trade for a guy like, I mean, look, you could go down a list and say, man, they should trade for this guy. And mm-hmm. but you look at the contracts and stuff like I me, mean, you, you could, you could obviously, uh, create some, uh, 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 clickbaity type articles out of that kind of stuff. But I mean, when you, when you boil it down, I mean, it, it was kind of next, next to impossible, uh, to predict such a thing as happening, uh, when it came to a trade for Allen Robinson, yeah, you had the Blues Clues aspects. If you want to go that way, it would make sense. But there were all you know, the financials involved and the compensation. But uh, I guess where I'm getting from this is you can sound a lot smarter about it after the fact of it actually happening and breaking down why it was a good move after the fact. Uh, as opposed to actually predicting something like that happening. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? 
Yeah, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Again, we knew what they needed, just who that guy was. You know, you could throw out a dozen names of potential guys that could fill that that role and we could play that game for, for days. It's not something we try to do a ton of on the site, but glad to get that guy because, yeah, I mean, you think about, you know, past wide receiver rooms, you know, guys that weren't the name of the room, but they were that veteran presence. How about Darius Hayward Bay? He was huge for Juju early in his career. Jericho Cotchery, uh, a veteran guy that, you know, obviously had a pretty substantial on-field role that one year with, what, 10 touchdowns, whatever he had, um, but was a, a solid leader in that in that room. So Robinson hopefully can provide a similar impact. And look, it takes uh, it takes uh, some of the onus off of Deontay Johnson too, right? You know? Because uh, mm-hmm. look, I mean, obviously coming off of a season where uh couldn't find the end zone and, you know, probably didn't view himself as being used like he probably wanted to be used in that offense. And uh, it just what he, I guess what I'm getting at is he doesn't have to, 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 to force himself into kind of a leadership role that he still might be uncomfortable, uh, in, 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 in doing now, not to say that he won't help those younger receivers, but Allen Robinson is more slated for, for, for such a role. And look, overall, I mean, I, I don't think statistic statistically, uh, Allen Robinson is going to tear it up you know, in 2023, but I think there are within that, there are aspects of his game and being an, a, an experienced slot guy and a guy that can potentially move around a little bit, uh, obviously will pay, should pay some dividends for this team. And then once again, the leadership aspect, I mean, you got Calvin Austin didn't play a single snap uh, for this team, not, not even preseason last year. So this is essentially a rookie season for him. You got a guy, a hugely talented guy in George Pickens, uh, who, who, who showed you know more than a few flashes last year, but still trying to find his way and refine certain aspects of his game. Allen Robinson can help him with that. So to have kind of that father figure in that room that will you know in in addition not only help the younger receivers but maybe take some of that onus off of Deontay Johnson so he can refine so he can uh, become maybe the, the the full player that he wants to become uh, in that offense. Uh, once again, I, I think these are things that maybe we get into week three or week four of the season where that stuff becomes a lot more obvious. How do you think it might become more obvious? Is there anything you'll be watching for to try to sense that? Because it is something that can be tough to see from the outside. I think maybe just, you know, and, and maybe we'll see some of these things, you know, just some of his through, through some of his press conferences and some of his words, because, you know, there's going to be still some growing pains with some of these younger guys. I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what happens when, when Deontay Johnson comes off of a game, three catches for maybe, I don't know, 38 yards and no touchdowns and, and maybe has a drop dropper, you know, key drop or something in there, or, or you have guys like, you know, Pickens, maybe not getting the ball as much as he wants, or a guy like, uh, uh, Calvin Austin, the third, making some early season mistakes or something like that. It, it, it might be subtle and it might be more of, of, of his words more than anything that we see. Cause obviously not in the locker room and maybe how these guys respond after, uh, one or two, of maybe having a bad game. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. I think it, I, I think it'll hopefully benefit Pickens the most just because he's that young year two guy who got frustrated at times last year. And I think can 
control that when you have a guy like Robinson, who has, I'm sure, been there, done that. He's been a top receiver. He's been more of a role player. He's been hurt and had to deal with injury. And so inevitably someone's going to get hurt. You know, I'm not going to jinx anyone to name a particular name, but miss a couple of weeks and Robinson can maybe, you know, lend a, uh, an ear uh, and kind of give some guidance on that situation. So, yeah, I think his presence will be valuable in, in a lot of different ways, just from telling stories and sharing experiences about what he's been through in his career that can hopefully relate and connect well with uh, his fellow teammates. And I think it moves past the wide receiver room as well, too, even though now, you know, you've got a guy in, 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 in Kenny Pickett that looks like he's, he's, he's primed to be a, uh, a leader on the offensive side of football that he needs to be, but he's still a second year player on top of it. And, you know, he's, he's still trying to find his way. You got a guy like Najee Harris, who I kind of view Najee as, and I think he has said this as, as him, you know, wanting to be a more of a leader by example, but even so he, you know, he's in his third season now and he's still trying to feel, uh, you know, feel out his kind of role in the leadership category. You got a guy like Pat Firemuth, who obviously more of a veteran guy uh, at, at this point, offensive line, you've got veteran guys like uh, say Amalo and, and James Daniels, but really, you know, do any of those guys come off as, as like a Ramon Foster or a Pouncey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just yet. So uh, adding one more accomplished veteran leadership type in, 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 in on the offensive side of the ball and a guy like Allen Robinson might end up filtering out in all areas on offense when it comes to leadership help. Sure. I hope so. And so we'll be watching for it. And when I get to training camp, I'll kind of see how Robinson interacts with the group and see if I can pick up anything there. So good conversation about Alan Robinson. Dave, let's transition to your start of, you know, you know, training camp is near when the 90 and 30 series begins. And part one went up Monday on Steelers Depot, highlighting and previewing Montrevious Adams, Spencer Anderson and Calvin Austin, the third. So Speaking of receivers and speaking of uh, the, the training camp getting near, kind of give us a, a walkthrough of those three names. Yeah, and I'm doing this alphabetically once again. Uh, so you know, there's going to be some, obviously, some some veteran guys mixed in with some younger guys as I go through. And I'm doing three three players a day, and I better not I better not call in sick any of these days, or else uh, I'll be right up against the start of training camp there. But the first three were Montrevious Adams, Spencer Anderson, and Calvin Austin the third. Montrevious Adams. Uh, we've talked, you know, quite a bit since the end of last season, a guy that I, I kind of view based on the additions that this team has made this off season and, and, and kind of more defensive tackle types and Armand Watts and, and, and Braden Fajoko, uh, in addition to drafting a, you know, a guy in, in, in Keanu Benton, uh, I don't think Montrevious Adams, uh, name is written in, in pen when it comes to a potential 53 man roster situation. If anything, at this point right now, I kind of view him as being outside the bubble, uh, when it comes to the 53 man roster, maybe needing something to happen, uh, uh, on the unfortunate side, when it comes to injuries, uh, to help his cause a guy that obviously has been with the Steelers since what, about midway through the 2021 season, he did play in all, every game last season, but I think overall, uh, he, he is who he was and is at this point in his career. Uh, I don't view him as having any ceiling left overall and he is a guy that very very easily i think can 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 lose a roster spot uh 
uh, this offseason here. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out the rest of the way, uh, especially when it comes to health on that defensive line, because you re-signed Larry Ogan, Joby, obviously have a veteran in, in, in Cam Hayward. And we just mentioned, uh, you know, the additions this team has made too. So I think, I think Montrevious Adams is up, up, up against it this offseason. Yeah, I think he's certainly a, a clear bubble guy when you bring in so many nose tackle and nose tackle capable players, as you mentioned, Benton, Fahoka, Watts, and obviously Benton, the most notable name there. He's going to, he should be the week one starter, barring him just looking terrible this summer. Second round pick, you know, pretty easy transition from the nature of the position and the role and coming from Wisconsin's more quote unquote pro style defense that's pretty similar to what Pittsburgh runs. It should be a fairly you know, relatively easy. There's going to be bumps in the road and there's still going to be a transition and some challenges, of course, but Benton should be the starter. And at that point, Adams becomes, uh, you know, relatively expensive-ish backup without a real path to playing a lot. And, you know, if Watts can play up and down the line and offer something as a pass rusher, you really kind of wonder how they're going to justify Adams' roster spot on this team come week one. And how will the numbers play out? Are they going to keep six or seven? You know, it's one thing to obviously keep in mind uh, moving forward. It, it, it sort of feels like they're going to have to keep seven for Adams to have a chance as we sit here mm-hmm. in, 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 in in late June. And even that might not be enough for him to make it, right? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'd have to run the numbers on exactly how that looks. Generally, they keep just six, but they might be heavier this year and go seven. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, obviously injuries could factor into it as well, too. But uh, as we sit here right now, I don't like Montrevious Adams' chances of making a 53-man roster, but a lot of things can change once this team gets into training camp in the preseason, obviously. Uh, next up on the list, Spencer Anderson, uh, the Steelers' you know, seventh-round uh, 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 draft pick out of Maryland, a guy that you know when you look in totality at this draft class, uh, even though the Steelers did look at, at, at quite a few uh, offensive linemen throughout the pre-draft process, uh, I view Spencer Anderson, at least in my book, as a as a guy that snuck up on me. Uh, come 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 draft day there. Uh, looking back, though, you always are able to sound a lot smarter when talking about why these guys were drafted after the fact. Uh, and I think that's the situation with Spencer Anderson. Where else are you going to, uh, you know, to get a guy in the seventh round to have the position flexibility that he showed at Maryland to have uh, from the athletic profile RA, RAS standpoint uh, with him? I uh, I view him as as a you know, a steal, if you will, in in the seventh round, uh, just because of the the complete makeup of him the position flexibility the athletic profile he seems to be a uh at least in the interviews and the stuff that i've researched on him a very smart guy i think one of the most intriguing aspects with him moving forward when it comes to a guy like spencer anderson making the 53-man roster is that position flexibility and maybe specifically at the center position. You know, he played his fair share of snaps, if you will, at center in college, obviously not, you know, accomplished in that area, but he's not a stranger to having the football in his hands either. And I think he made that kind of pretty clear uh, 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 once he was drafted there. Uh, I, I'm going to be really, really interested to, to read your training camp reports on him how much is he going to be moved around? Is he a guy that we're, that that you're actually going to be reporting uh, getting some snaps at maybe 
at least four of the five offensive line spots with center being one of them throughout the training camp process. Uh, how much will he be used at various positions during the preseason? Can his position flexibility end up being a, along with performance, obviously, uh, be a key factor in him making a 53-man roster? I think he's got a fighter's chance, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, but on the flip side, I'm I'm not going to sit here right now on, 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 on June 26th and say, Man, I guarantee you Spencer Anderson will be on the 53-man roster. I like his chances, but within that, I, 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 I'm I, going to have to hear and see a lot more uh, through, throughout the rest of this this summer. But I, I do like his chances, and at worst, at, 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 at worst, I think he's a legitimate practice squad candidate. Sure. I'm with you. We'll have to see. Certainly one thing I'll be, you know, again, the, those, those I've said it before. I'll say it again. Those first four days of practice that aren't in pads that kind of have that OTA type of feel. I'm kind of really trying to get a grasp for where guys are starting off, where they're lining up. Are they shuffling and moving at all? That typically ha- happens more a bit later in training camp with injuries and as guys kind of get more comfortable and settled in. But still, Anderson, as you said, was drafted because he can play up, up and down the line and that's going to have to continue. We can't just be a one spot kind of guy. Um, we'll see where they, you know, kind of give him the majority of the snaps at to begin with and see where they move him from there. But they're those roster spots where they're taking as backups. Um, not a ton of them, less than probably than what there were last year, but there are going to be some opportunities for him. So I think can he can he improve his run blocking? I think he's, you know, decent athlete and pass protect. Can he be that more punishing run blocker for a team who wants to be a punishing run the ball type of squad? That's going to be the question, I think, when it comes to Spencer Anderson. How does that run blocking look? He's a, he's one of these uh, one of the several guys on 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 an off season roster that that make you wish that teams had four preseason games, <laughs> so you can <laughs> see so you can see more of them there. But uh, definitely a guy. Uh, uh, once again, I I'm going to be uh, very in tune with the things that you pass along uh, from the training camp practices where when it when it comes to Anderson, uh, the last guy in this first. Uh, 90 and 30, uh, the third and final one for this uh, uh, first post was obviously Calvin Austin the third, a guy that we just recently spent, I don't know, a couple episodes on the podcast uh, talking about uh, with him, uh, you know, obviously an unfortunate situation with him is rookie season, missing all of it because of the foot injury. I think by most reports that we have coming out of the summer practices here is that he's over that foot injury. I think he even said at one point that, you know, August come August is when he really feels that he'll be back to, you know, the, 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 the player he was, uh, you know, speed and, and everything, athleticism, all that comes with that, uh, uh, coming back from that foot injury, uh, He obviously you you would expect him to make the 53 man roster this year as one of either, I don't know, five or six wide receivers. We'll see how that shakes out there. Uh, The explosive. You can't talk about Calvin Austin, the third. I don't think without without talking about two things related to him, a his size, B his explosive play making ability. Sure. Size and speed. Those have been the thoughts on Calvin Austin. Is the size going to be a concern? Will he hold up at the NFL level? And can the speed overcome that lack of size? And obviously didn't really get a chance to see that last year. You know, I saw him in camp for two weeks or so. It was just such a small sample size. He had flashed. He had shown that speed. He had shown some of the uh, over the middle type of stuff. But you also kind of saw the lack of size and 
trying to fight for balls outside his frame. There were some issues there, but want to see this guy in a game. Obviously, he's never played in a game preseason or regular season. How does that translate? How do they use him? Are they, is he going to be just kind of a gadget guy? Is he going to be a, a true blue receiver with an actual full route tree? Hopefully, it's more the latter, but you're going to see the jet sweeps. You're going to see the motions. You're going to see RPO game, screen game. Um, they're going to get him involved in those ways. And, and and it sounds like they're going to really, you know, hyper utilize him all over the field, even potentially backfield type stuff. Mm-hmm. Ashi Harris seemed to allude to. So um, as you said, kind of have to make sure he doesn't have that, that big red flashing light on his head whenever he gets on the field. Um, This guy's a legitimate wide receiver with great college production. So he's somebody that can run a, a fuller route tree, even play on the outside occasionally. It's what he was majority of the time at Memphis. So, Again, want to see this guy in a stadium and start really evaluating that because there's nothing when it comes to our knowledge of what he can do inside an NFL stadium. And even though he was sidelined his rookie season, how much was he able to learn about all three positions in that offense and the roles and 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 you know and and the responsibilities that come come along with it? I mean, you know, mostly at at, at Memphis he was you know Z and and slot. You know, uh, can, can he have? Will, will they use him any as an X, you know, and be able to maybe move Deontay around a little bit uh, as a result of that? Obviously, you got a guy in George Pickens, too, right, who who uh, has some X experience. So just looking at him overall on top of the size and 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 the athleticism, big play, the speed aspect of him is how much versatility will he have as a second year player not playing in his rookie season? Will he be able to how much will he be able to be be moved around in that offense mm-hmm. sure definitely going to watch for that as well um going to probably play most of the time inside in the slot but as you said and as i just mentioned he's he played on the outside quite a bit at memphis so it's not going to be foreign to him and he talked about how he got a lot of mental reps last year and so hopefully there was some benefit of that lost rookie year from an on-field standpoint of being able to watch and absorb and um, again, take those those mental reps. And last thought on Austin is return game. It's right. going to be this team, you know, starting kick and punt returner. Ideally, he's the guy to do both. If it's not him, then it gets become it becomes messier in terms of trying to find who those guys are. Um, he did a bit of punts in college, not do kicks, and so that would be relatively new to him. But um, I imagine he'll get a chance to to be the guy on on both units. I tell you, every time I think about Calvin Austin III and I think about 2023 and, and really missed 2022, I, I my mind immediately races to explosive plays because this team, this offense certainly needs the explosive play uh, aspect of his game coming out of Memphis. We talked recently about the high percentage of, of explosive plays versus touches that he had during during his, his career at Memphis. Uh that's a that's the main thing that comes to my mind when I think about him is man can this can this kid uh uh really significantly impact the explosive play aspect of this offense in 2023 who is next in the 90 and 30 what's uh what's the alphabet looking like for that uh that is a good question Benton going to be in the next batch uh let me pull up the roster by alphabetical because i have not even started that post today for tomorrow it will be luke barku chris boswell Mm. and miles boykin is benton not coming before that uh actually wait a minute be over actually they have them separated by uh oh oh they're gonna make this 
Yeah, the the media site hasn't broken down. Go to the just the team website, yeah. just Steelers.com. You can sort it there, and it should be a lot easier than whatever the media website's uh, doing to you over there. Let's see. Let me sort. Yeah, it should that be that Barku, way. Benton, and Boswell. Should be the next three. It looks all like. right. Barku, Benton, and Boswell. I stand corrected. Boykin will have to wait a day. I'm glad you all reminded right. me of that, or else I would I probably would have missed that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Benton, uh, Barku, Benton, Boswell. Sound like a law firm. But, uh, <laughs> uh, that will be up on Tuesday morning. All right. Sounds good. Uh, one study I did for Monday, Dave, and I did this the first example last year, and I wanted to revisit it this year, was how big is the Pittsburgh Steelers coaching staff? Because that gets a lot of critique. And, you know, I wanted to really compare that to, to really be able to put the hard data to it. And for the second year in, in how a row, big is it? I knew, I knew we're, I was trying not to make those <laughs> jokes or like references in the post. I knew somebody was going to do that. So uh, there you go. Um, but yeah, Pittsburgh does have the second smallest coaching staff in the NFL for the 2023 season with 19 total coaches. Only team who has fewer are the New England Patriots with 18. Very similar to last year. The Pats last year had the smallest coaching staff. Pittsburgh was tied for the second smallest coaching staff. And so essentially no change there. Pittsburgh has certainly changed over some coaches in terms of losing Brian Flores, Blaine Stewart, John Mitchell retiring, Jerry Osofsky leaving, bringing in Glenn Thomas, Aaron Curry, Jason Brooks, officially hiring Gerald Alexander. So some new names there, um, but, you know, small coaching staff overall. We can debate how much does that matter. There's pros and cons to having a big coaching staff versus a smaller coaching staff. So it's not necessarily to conclude anything, although in my study on a one-year sample size, Teams who had larger coaching staffs were generally more successful than teams who did not. So take that for whatever it's worth. But I just wanted to be able to quantify that, track that, and continue to track that each year just to see where Pittsburgh is at and where the general NFL trends are going. Coaching staffs this year are bigger than what they were last year by more than one coach on average. And so we'll see if that trend continues. Which coach, which position coach would you most want to be in? 2023 with the Steelers. Would I most want to be? Yeah. Which which job do you envy the most when it comes to uh, comes to this coaching staff? I'm um, going. I'm going Denzel Martin. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty easy one. I would even probably look like a decent coach if I got to coach up T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith. I think the tight end room is really exciting for Alfredo Roberts with Fryermuth. Uh, in year three, Hayward in year two, Darnell Washington his first year. I think it's a really unique room. As Robert said, different skill sets. Um, it should be really fun to see those guys all grow and continue to de- to, to uh, develop. Who would you say, I, I know which way you're probably going to go with this. Who would you say is the most underrated coach, position coach on a Steelers staff right now? Yeah, I'm going back to Roberts, I yeah, think. I, I, I think. That's the way I thought you'd go. Yeah, I mean, I think Carl Dunbar's done a really good job, too, but he probably is a little bit more known because he's been around a little bit longer than than Roberts has. But Roberts really works these guys hard, and he's really had to mold this whole group. There was no veteran that he inherited. I mean, Gentry to some small extent, but Gentry was about to be cut when Roberts took over and really improved his blocking for that 2021 season, basically saved his roster spot and, and place in the NFL. But yeah, with Fryermuth and Hayward and Washington this year, um, I think Roberts has done a really nice job. When it comes to position coaches only, obviously, you know, throwing out the coordinators here, uh, who has the biggest onus? Who has the biggest task of the position coaches this year? 
Mm, that's a good question. Um, I just want to see how the the secondary gets managed by Grady Brown. Now, obviously, Terrell Austin has got that. You know, I know you mentioned just positional coaches, but Austin has the DB background, Tomlin DB background. But for Grady Brown, just to handle the challenges of you lose Cam Sutton, how do you adjust to that? What is Peterson's role going to be? How do you get him more comfortable in doing some things to a pretty foreign to a guy who spent over a decade in the NFL, um, replacing Terrell Edmonds, slot corner work, sub package work, all that balancing and juggling. It's a pretty big group in general for Brown to handle. So going to be watching that pretty closely. I think Aaron Curry's got quite a task. They yeah. probably just recently ditched all the hello. My name is, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, tags. Cause obviously you've had a, you know, a com- nearly complete turnover in that room. Right. You know, and you bring in a, you know, new position coach on top of it there. So, uh, I, I think of guys, I don't envy their jobs when it comes to position coaches for students in 2023. I think Aaron Curry would be the top of my list. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion uh, as well. Just one last note from my study. Pittsburgh continues to be the only team with one coach who carries a special teams title. That, of course, is Danny Smith. Every other team in the NFL has at least two coaches that have you know your, your special teams coordinator and usually an assistant or two assistants. Pittsburgh, the only one who officially has one. Danny Smith does get some help from other assistant coaches, but uh, Pittsburgh really allows Smith to run that group probably with more autonomy and more just I shouldn't say freedom, but just more on his own than probably any other team in the NFL. Here's something I threw out. I uh, got it from a music website uh, talking about uh, al- albums and bands and which, you know, which album is not, uh, uh, you know, high, you know, highly, highly thought of that you would go to bat for. You know, so I, I, I switched that over to the Steelers and, and made a little meme about it and posted it yesterday on my Twitter feed and has gotten, it looks like 97 responses. Uh, and I want to keep this, I opened this up to, you know, Steelers all time and all like that, mm-hmm. but, but I want to focus this on, uh, current players under contract. Okay. okay. Name an unpopular Steelers player that you are willing to defend. In other words, you'll go, you'll go, go to the mat for, for that player name an unpopular who would, I guess why? Cause everybody would say, well, no, nah, I mean, not everybody uh, views this guy as an unpopular in, in the fan base and all, mm-hmm. but I mean, just, uh, you know, within reason, name me an unpopular current Steelers player under contract that you will go to the mat uh, willing to defend. I'll give you two that came to mind when you asked the question. My first thought was Dan Moore Jr. I think I've been a stronger defender and supporter of him, knowing that he's never going to be an all-pro franchise left tackle, but he has grown, gotten better, and dealt with difficult circumstances as a fourth-round rookie coming in and starting right away. I think he has improved. And then Deontay Johnson, because he's such a popular whipping boy, and obviously he's got his problems and had some you know terrible moments last year, but the dude has worked hard. I think the drop issues are a bit overstated. Look at some of the data. Um, it's not as egregious as it was two years ago, for example. So um, he's still a talented guy that I know can be a really good receiver in the NFL. And he just kind of avoid some of those slumps and mental mistakes and those kinds of things. But a guy that I'm not going to give up on. Uh, Deontay Johnson would be 1A on my list uh, for, okay. for who's, all, who's 1B? All, all the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, who would be one B you said one a, so I assume there's a one B. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I, what I was trying to get a, 
a crosshair is just unequivocally, you know, okay. it, it would be him. Maybe I shouldn't have la- labeled it one A, but uh, is there anybody else though that uh, might come close to that? Oh, let's mind? let's think here. Uh man, I, I'm I have I'm having problems coming up with with a, a second player here. Uh, Levi Wallace. I'm just kind of throwing out some names right now. I don't know. I don't maybe, know, maybe, maybe, you know I, I don't view Mason Cole as an unpopular player, but mm-hmm. prob- probably a guy that probably doesn't get enough uh, respect for his one season. That's probably fair. I mean, I, I'll, I'll defend Kendrick Green just in the sense of me really thinking that Pittsburgh failed him, that Green didn't fail the Steelers. Not to defend the body of work. There's really no defense there. He was you know, a mess, but I think he got thrown into a, an, an impossible situation. So the criticism when it comes to Green should be about how the team handled him less so about green, not being a good NFL player. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I, I thought what, that was, was, what was, what was some of the answers? I know that was more all time, but on Twitter, was there any popular theme? I'm guessing William Gay might've come up a couple times. Yeah, William Gay Twitter came answers. up. Terrell Edmonds came up a few a times. Uh, Cordell Stewart, just looking uh, uh, at, at some of this. Uh, Willie, someone named Willie Parker. I, I think Willie Parker was pretty celebrated for most yeah. of the time. I don't think right? anyone disliked him. Uh, Someone has Aaron Smith in here. Wasn't that I, I view it more as by 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 throwing that throwing out the term unpopular, more of uh, a whipping boy kind of aspect of it. You know, yeah, I think some people are some people seem reading that as underrated. You're not saying yeah. underrated, but people that the fan base did not like who probably unfairly took too much heat. Right. I uh, see Ike Taylor's name in it. I mean, it's all over the map here. Someone's got Chase Claypool in here. Someone's got Plaxico Burris, uh, uh, Edmonds. There seem to be quite a few Edmonds potentially. And Bubby, Bubby Brister's in here. <laughs> uh, boy, Ouija Thompson, Mike Logan. You can tell there's some older, older Steelers fans that follow me on the Twitter machine here. Martavis Bryant. Uh, I never viewed Martavis. I, I never got the sense that Martavis Bryant was a whipping boy more, more so as, as people were hoping he could get out of his own way. <laughs> right. He just you know? kept getting suspended. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Fun question. Yeah. Fun, 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 fun question on a Sunday to uh, get some responses on. All right, Dave, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. I don't know exactly how many we have, but it's been a while since we've opened up the mailbag. So I'm sure we have a, a couple questions in there. And by the way, I forgot to mention this top of the show. Dave and I will have our Steelers Depot live stream tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time on my YouTube channel. So come hang out with Dave and I for any additional questions you guys have. All right, let's fly through a couple here. Mario Brunel writes in, Nickel DB defense solution. Good day, gents. Do you see Terrell Austin having Casey play more deep middle so Minka can control the short range middle to help out the slot? He says Minka's presence could give opposing quarterbacks more pause and allow our pass rush to get home. This would also take advantage of Minka's new versatility he's developing. Thanks. Uh, I get the kind of the gist uh, of the question here, and and make no mistake about it, you're going to see Minka. Uh, do you know continue to, to 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 try to rob a lot right uh uh kind of you know be that guy diving down in there so will Casey be more of the guy though to 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 kind of take that other role and be the guy rotating back it very well could be you know especially uh come you know his what second season now right uh 
uh, with the team there. Going to be a lot more uh, familiar with the defense. Obviously missed, you know, half of his first season there uh, uh, due due to injury and all. Uh, short answer is, I, I think you're going to see Minka continue to patrol down low in the middle of the field, maybe a little bit more than he did last season. My answer to that would be yes, that you'll see Casey, I wouldn't say do that, but continue to do that. That's basically his role whenever he came off of IR after the bye. Dime packages, you know, playing the deep post, playing deep half. Edmonds became more of that dime backer type of position and role on, on third downs last year. So yeah, that allows Minka to spin down and rob and take away crossers and read the eyes of the quarterback than just playing center field or deep half where it's easier for the quarterback to throw away from him. So yeah, Keanu O'Neill's not going to be that guy. And so Casey should be that guy. Uh, you know, when you talk about Minka, obviously if you keep him tied to the, to the, to the post uh, as a deep safety, he's going to be, he's going to be an effective player for you where, where you unlock uh, uh, Minka on, on top of that is putting him in places on the field where maybe opposing quarterbacks don't expect him to be. Uh, and we've already seen that <laughs> countless times uh, throughout his career in, in, in Pittsburgh. So the more that you can do that in this defense and put Minka, uh, have him, you know, uh, post snap, you know, show up in areas of the field where maybe he's not necessarily expected to be, is going to just going to, you know, increase the chances even more of him making big plays or turnovers. Yeah, my concern is just being able to do some of those post-snap rotations as they did last year when you don't have a Cam Sutton. And will Patrick Peterson be that guy that does a lot of that? We'll have to see. But that's going to be a challenge because Sutton really allowed his versatility and, and football IQ. He could play anywhere and you could really rotate and you know change your looks late. And will that be as effective this year with some of the new pieces, especially early? I have some questions, but we'll have to wait and see. It would have been, you know, you can't, you can't go back and undo, undo history and all, but it, it, it there are times it makes you wonder how maybe effective this defense could have been had, had Casey been healthy, you know, all, all, all throughout last season. Yeah. I think obviously without TJ Watt, the whole tenets of the defense fell apart, you know, rush four, drop seven and get home to the quarterback and allow your guys in coverage to make plays. But yeah, I mean, when you saw Casey come back alongside Watt, the whole defense got a whole lot better. Simon Short uh, writes in long snapping competition. First off, just want to say thanks for what you guys do. Second of all, I can't believe I'm sending an email about a long snapper, but that's what you've done to me uh, with the signing of Rex Sunahara. I'm I'm getting strong 2021 vibes coming out of the 2020-21 season. Pittsburgh had Jordan Berry and uh Cameron uh, Kennedy and they drafted Presley Harvin and bring in Christian Kuntz. Alex was on it back then saying it was a competition between those two units, meaning the long snapper and punter pair were connected. Uh, Harvin and Kuntz end up getting the nod. Could Sunahara be tied to Braden Mann? He asked in the same way. Neither Harvin nor Kuntz were perfect last year, so I found the signing of both Mann and and Sunahara interesting. Thanks, Simon. That's a, uh, look. That's a that's a very, you could tell Simon's Simon's listened uh, before, mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, I guess the the gist of his question is is are Kuntz, is this Kuntz and Harvin versus Sunahara or Braden Mann sort of maybe in the 
And in the same way, it was it was Barry and Canada versus, you know, Harvin and Koontz. Yeah, it's a really good thought. Appreciate the question, Simon. I'm always down to talk specialists. Uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how they kind of get how the units look in training camp. If they're kind of working where it's always Sunahara snapping to man as both a holder and punter and Koontz always snapping to Harvin, then yeah, that's probably going to be the assessment. If they're, ro- I mean, they rotate and practice on an every other snap basis, but so do the well, so do the pun- the punter snap every other snap. We'll see how the long snappers get to beat up in, in, in terms of practice. So that, that's Re- a refresh, fair thought. Refresh my memory. Uh, mm-hmm. Was it how you probably have this somewhere in your hieroglyphics uh, <laughs> uh, there, but uh, how much did they, do you remember how much they maybe mixed, mixed and matched like Harvin with uh, who was the. the it was Cam- Cameron Canada. Well, uh, yeah, Canada. Uh, was there a lot of mixing and matching going on? I truthfully don't remember that well. Uh, there might have been to some extent. I'd have to go back and look at my notes to to see what all I can cobble together. Okay, uh, maybe maybe that's worth a post at some point in these next four weeks. We'll see. Uh, Sean Irvine writes in play installs. Uh, hey guys, uh, when you agree reports that the team are doing X amount of installs per day and OTAs or mini camp, what does that mean exactly? One play, a set of plays, a formation where the amount of plays varies. That's a good question for Alex being as how he sees more of, well, he doesn't get to see during OTAs mm-hmm. and all, but I know we've, uh, I know Kenny has talked about this a little this off season, walk them through installs. Yeah, I would just say it's the core tenets of your offense and what exactly that entails can probably vary a little bit. I wouldn't say it's it's one play. It may be a, a base formation and here's our base runs out of that. Here's our base zone run, our base gap run, our couple of core passing concepts. And so that's probably more so how it's built. I wouldn't say the installs are one specific play. It's just kind of the Here's our foundational run game, our two, three core concepts. Here's our foundation, foundational pass game, both you know, quick game and five and seven step game um, and, and things like that. So it's probably more about the situationals and the foundations of here is like the very basic principles, the, the Novocaine to use the, uh, the, the the phrase from the what member of the Titans there um, uh, thought of how this offense is built and put together. So that's probably the best way to, to uh, describe installs and different coordinators might have different uh, ways. They go about this as well, too, depending on their lineage. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And then obviously each coordinator has their own core principles. And, and so that can change in terms of what their offense is kind of built around. Uh, let's take one more here from Jordan Pearsall, right? Saying what's up, David Alex? You're my number one Steelers podcast. So I had to, Get both of your thoughts on this. In your opinion, who is the most entertaining stealer ever on offense and on defense? Not necessarily. Didn't did we? No, I don't know if we. No, we haven't gotten this. Okay, uh, not necessarily the best, but the most entertaining. He says my offensive answer was Antonio Brown. He's the only player that I can remember after literally every Sunday asking myself, "How the hell did he do that?" We know how special the route running and burst was, but the contested catches, even in double coverage at his size, I don't know if I'll ever see that again he says he says my defensive answer is Troy Palomalo there is no way to describe that combination of instinct and athleticism but I'm thankful I got to watch it every Sunday thanks fellas look Jordan it's hard to disagree with with the two names that you threw out there on each side of football right I mean uh man there was just I I can remember you know 
for, for a span of, you know, obviously Antonio uh, had a nice run of what, five, six seasons, you know, but man, like those final three uh, seasons, I mean, it was like every recap podcast of every game, you know, running out of, I remember, you know, having a conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, saying, man, we're running out of kind of superlatives to kind of describe this play or that play that he'd make almost on a weekly uh, basis when it comes to that. So, you know, it's unfortunate Antonio, Antonio Brown, you know, the player on the field and off the field are, are two different conversations, but man, when he, when he was, when he was, you know, in the meat of that five, six year span, uh, he was very, and, and the question is about entertaining Steeler. He was very entertaining. And then, I mean, Troy Polamalu goes without saying, I mean, you just did not know what that guy was going to do on a week to week basis. Sure. Defensively, I don't know who, who would even come a close second to Troy as number one. I don't know if a Rod Woodson would or someone like that, but I think it's got to be Troy. Offensively, obviously, AB is a, a really fantastic choice to try to think about some of the guys who aren't necessarily the best at their position. I think about done in some of my cool Steelers play series. Antoine Randall was so fun whenever he came out as a receiver. They ran some wildcat with him, quarterback runner Quiddo Stewart in that slash era. I mean, there, I had the one clip of him running a fullback option early in his career. So some, they did some really creative and fun things with him before he became more of a full-time quarterback. So uh, just to give some different names, I think Randall L, Quiddo Stewart, some really entertaining, exciting guys who came to my mind. What'd you think about my uh, story behind it? it, it, it I knew it wasn't going to be popular at all, but uh, mm-hmm. I'd been wanting to kind of ride around uh, Neil Graff, uh, the former Steelers quarterback, uh, especially that, that, that one season in 1977 there. So uh, it, that, that picture of Bradshaw being strip sacked with that soft cast on his left hand uh, in that game in 1977 against the, uh, the Broncos kind of sent me down, you know, you know how it is you get that going down those rabbit holes and he can't mm-hmm. stop. So I figured I might as well write about it. Maybe, maybe somebody will, 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 will find value in it. Once again, I, I knew that post wouldn't be popular. I think one of the biggest takeaways uh, from that, that, that might win somebody uh, a beer in a bar one in a Steelers bar one day is, in 1977, the quarterback with the second most pass attempts that season behind Terry Bradshaw was none other than Neil Graff with 12. Uh, I, I I definitely did not know that ahead of doing my research and writing up uh, this post. But, uh, I mean, you're talking about 1977 still, you know, hey, heyday of of, of, or, you know, the early heyday of, of, of the Steelers and all like that. Uh, Neil Graff is the correct answer to that tribute question. Frankly, I didn't know who Neil Graff was until that post went up. So I learned something and I'm not, I mean, it's a great tribute question, but I feel like if that question for someone to even come up with that question, the bar would have to be owned by Neil Graff. <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone else would have, would have thought about it in that way. That photo that, that you have in there, which is a cool Easter egg. Looks a little scared to me. It looks a little wide-eyed as the linebacker from Denver is uh, is over the line of scrimmage. But uh, yeah, very cool look back overall. So how many how many career passes did he throw in Pittsburgh? Was it just twelve in that one year? Did he ever throw in any other year? Uh, uh, I know he was on the roster the previous season for better part of the season, but but not enough to 
Uh, he didn't get into any game, uh, if you will, in 1976. Prior to that, he was with the uh, Patriots in, in 74 and 75. So in 77 was his only season to have pass attempts. Uh, prior to coming to the Steelers, he had 36 pass attempts uh, overall uh, with, 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 with New England. With the Steelers, he had 12 in total. Now, unfortunately, I don't have the total amount of plays that he was in for, but I can... I can, you know, looking back at he was in for this series or that series, I dare say he broke 25, you know, that that might even be pushing as far as Mm -hmm. uh, offensive snaps that he received during his Steelers career, which essentially was, you know, the 1977 uh, Steelers season there. What's interesting about part of that research as well, too, when you go back to that 1977 season is Bradshaw had injured injured that left uh, wrist uh, hand uh, early in the season against the Oilers and was relieved in that week. I think it was a week four game by Mike Krusek, who later in that game suffered a separated shoulder uh, in that game and had to exit the con- uh, that, that contest. Uh, Tony then rookie defensive back, Tony Dungy had mm-hmm. to come in and uh, uh, mop up, in that game and Dungy, you know, played obviously uh, quarterback at, 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 at Minnesota. And he had to finish that game under, uh, under center there. Uh, 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 Neil had been with the Steelers that preseason and all, and had been cut. And obviously he was the obvious choice to come back. Uh, I think stout was a rookie at the time and didn't have a great preseason. So they didn't want him, uh, uh, running that offense at all there. So that's why Neil Graff was re-signed and, and immediately became the backup to Terry Bradshaw, uh, uh, overall, but, uh, done the fact that Dungy finished third that season in pass attempts behind Graff is also an interesting kind of tribute point to all of that. So I, I just found a whole, you know, thing basically came across the photo as a byproduct of researching Neil Graff. And then that specific photo where, where Bradshaw was strip sacked in that third quarter of the Broncos game is what ultimately led to Graff getting a little bit more playing time. So uh, I wasted 10 minutes of people time. Mm-hmm. 80% of them probably don't care about it, but I, I found it interesting. That's why I wrote about it. Yeah, I think it's cool. I'm looking at his, uh, his game logs against the Browns, he three he went two for two for negative six yards. Was that because the sack that he took dinged his passing yards, or were there negative plays? Do you know? I don't. I that? I saw that. You know, obviously he got into two more games after the Denver game. One was against Cleveland, mm-hmm. and uh, one was against the Chargers late in the season. And I think uh, the game against Cle, I think. I don't remember how far it seemed like Bradshaw dinged up that hand again and had to come out for a, a couple plays. It was either that one or the, or the game against the chargers. I think Bradshaw got dinged up again, but I don't, I don't, I didn't go down da- deep down that rabbit hole uh, as far as games past the Denver game with okay. graph getting in there. Yeah. Just seeing the two for two for negative six yards is a, is a heck of a stat line. And I'd love to know, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll, now maybe I'll research it myself is he, he completed six passes in Pittsburgh. I wonder who those went to because my, one of my favorite all time stats of the weird is with 
T. Martin, and he completed six NFL passes, and they were all caught by Hall of Famers, five by Jerry Rice, one by Tim Brown. I don't know if this was, this was the same with Graf and Swan and Stallworth. Probably not, but I just would love to know where those uh, those completions went to. There you go. Well, some, right. Something else to go down a rabbit hole and look at. Neil, Neil Graf on a Monday in June. There number, you go. Number 16. Yeah. All right. All right, Dave. Anything else from the uh, email machine? No, I think that's a, a good point to wrap things up here. Uh, we will. When are we going to be back? Are we going to be? Obviously, we had the live stream on, on YouTube tonight. Uh, we're going to kind of play it by ear the rest of the week. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe we do our just uh, two shows a week for the next month until camp starts back up. So I'm not sure. Usually we do that, what, Tuesday and Thursday or Tuesday and Friday? Yeah, I think normally we go like Tuesday and Friday once the offseason goes. But obviously today is a Monday, so we'll we'll play uh, we'll play the rest of the, 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 this week by ear. Obviously, if any breaking news happens, maybe we'll be back on Wednesday. And if not, then look for us on Friday. And then after that, maybe we'll go Tuesday and Friday until camp starts. All right. Sounds good, Dave. All right. Uh, let's see. You can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com, hit the donate button up right navigation bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, uh, SteedersDepot.com, hit the ad free button. A reminder once again, live stream seven o'clock Eastern on Alex Kazora's YouTube channel. That should be easy to find, uh, as well. Too, we'll take as many questions as we can. Uh, during that hour segment. So until either Wednesday or Friday, as always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex.